Welcome. Today I am here with two of my friends. I'm here with Jeff Peabody, who has been my pastor at New Day Church for about 16 years, I think, and my friend Kate Henderson, whom I have known since she was about two. And we are going to talk a little bit about what it means to look to Jesus. Jeff wrote a book about the brain, about the armor of God, and how it related to his journey through OCD and anxiety. He's been so open and vulnerable. And I have also battled some significant brain challenges. It continues to be a journey. None of us have arrived. And about a year ago, Kate and I started meeting to just talk about the stuff in Jeff's book, because let's be honest, we all need help with our brains. And we all need help with the distractions of this world and knowing where to look and how to apply the truth of the gospel. And so today, I want, first of all, if Jeff is willing to tell the audience about why it even occurred to me to ask him to join me today. And it is from a specific passage in his book. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Mm-hmm. It's good to be here with both of you. But I think the passage you're referring to is in about the fourth chapter or so. Is that correct? The one it's you're talking about the, the yellow pad incident. Yes, is that right? It's in the chapter about the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel okay. of peace. Yes. I can't I remember, remember what number it is. I couldn't remember which chapter it was in. But <laughs> yeah. essentially, I was seeing a therapist at the time, and I had gone in for a session. And I had a really heightened OCD at the time, and it was really just crippling in some ways. And he he was talking with me about where I was at. And he at one point brought over his yellow pad, yellow legal pad, and he held it up in front of my face. And he asked me what I could see. And I thought it was a really dumb question because I obviously I couldn't see anything except mm-hmm. the yellow pad. And he, I said, I said, nothing. I can just see the the pad. And he's like, so what is this yellow pad doing for you right now? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is it doing? It's it's preventing you from seeing what else is, is there. And he's like, this is your OCD. And he said, what is your OCD doing for you? And that, that also felt like a really dumb question to me because I was like, it's not doing anything for me. It's a neg- all I could think about was how it was negative. And so I, I thought about that question and eventually realized Oh, what, what it's doing is it's taking me out of the room. And so it's putting something so right in my face that I can't actually see what else is going on. It gets, it preoccupies me when it's not even the real thing of what I'm dealing with. It, it's almost like a way to avoid a different source of anxiety. That hits me too, because as many of you listeners know, I have dealt with a eating disorder for a lot of my life and also OCD patterns and anxiety myself. And I think that it is a natural human condition to look and try to find solutions. And that actually distracts us from success in overcoming the area that needs the tension. It's a mask, like what Jeff said. It is something that is a skirmish and not the true battle. It's masking what the real battle is. And as we know, the battle belongs to the Lord, to throw in some good Christian language there for you. But the reality of God's goodness and faithfulness and his deliverance is absolute. And we look at all of these distractions. Exactly. And I don't know if any of you can resonate with that. What is distracting you? 
It can be something entertaining. It can be something good. It can be something painful. It can be anxiety or loneliness. It can be addictive behaviors. It can be your job. I could go on and on and on. Anything that is taking up the bulk of our attention rather than our present moment and looking to Christ is something that we can know can fall away. It's hard, it's hard because that thing that's the distraction or that's taking us out of the room, it's very effective mm-hmm. and we like it. And it's hard to move it to the side and not rely on it being the thing, even though, even though it's something that you know might be a distraction or you might know that it's, it's causing you harm or whatever, but there is that piece to it that's functioning. Right. And, and so I think that's the, the question I wrestle with is even, even when I can hear that distractions are getting in the way of me looking at Jesus, that it's still really distracting and yes. and I like it. Yeah, you know, right. I like to be distracted. So that's, that's the key, I guess, is figuring out, you know, how do we set aside those, rely on those less. Right. Kate and I have talked about God-given denial. There are seasons where there's a masking behavior that's effective. It is allowing us to stay in a safe place. Distractions in and of themselves are not bad, but it's like what you said, when it's not serving you anymore, how can we recognize that it's time to work on laying that down? Yeah, and I think I think that is also where I go. It, it introduces the idea of being kind to ourselves mm-hmm. because... I can get so uh, frustrated with my incapacity, my my inability to set down the distractions. When really, like you said, there there are seasons when we absolutely need them, when we need to not be so present to the pain, and they are God given yeah. tools mm-hmm. that that uh, I think realizing that it was actually doing something for me give me a little more permission to go, okay, I can, I can be kind to myself in this area and not just uh, viciously, you know, a lot of negative talk, just even about, I can't, I can't change here or whatever and go, well, there are reasons for that and, and having more space for that. I love that because it is so familiar. Well, I don't love it, because it's familiar, because right. it's painful. <laughs> right. But also, we often define our sin in a different way than God does. And we are condemning ourselves and looking at this behavior with loathing, with condemnation, with self-hatred or disappointment, failure. And God is saying, look at me. I'm not worried about that behavior. Pause to look to me and receive my strength to walk out of that. And I know for me, that's been really powerful with my eating disorder to recognize I can eat or drink whatever I want. I am not defined by my behavior, even if I am, quote, in the pigsty. My identity is in Christ. Am I going to look to Christ and believe that despite my failure, despite patterns that I can't seem to get out of? And that's a game changer. It's been a game changer for me. How how do you define looking at Christ? What What does that look like even for you? Well, it looks like a lot of grace toward myself, like you said. It looks like being willing to push pause and wait 
and apply truth despite my feelings. It's taking myself out of the feeling and out of the solution and putting myself in the practice to say, if I look to God, he says that he will give me a spirit. And it is the practice of saying, I'm not going to define myself by what it might look like in this physical realm. I'm going to continue to define myself by looking to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I know that that sounds maybe like a little bit of a Christian-y answer, Mm -hmm. but I really believe it's the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Bible says, meditate, well, your whole book. Mm -hmm. It says, put on the armor. And I think it can be really easy to be solution-oriented. If I put on the armor, if I look to Jesus, that the product of that is designed to take us out of whatever we think that we need to be rescued from. And so for me, it's looking and saying, I'm going to look to Jesus no matter what. You're the one who defines my rescue. It's not giving excuse for sin, but it's saying I am more than what I'm defining myself as. Yeah. I like what you said about we can get solution oriented because I, I think for me, when I when I'm not looking to Christ, I'm looking to myself mm-hmm. most of the time or looking at myself critically or or looking to myself as the solution to whatever I'm mm-hmm. facing. And I talk to Karen sometimes about uh, scramble. Like I can feel when I am in scramble mode mm-hmm. as opposed to just working on something. I'm I'm strategizing and I'm I'm figuring out how I'm going to make something happen. And and when I recognize that that's going on inside me, then then for me that's a that's an indicator of going. Okay, I need to pause and and stop what I'm trying to make occur and just instead look to Jesus, you know, wait mm-hmm. for him, leave space for him mm-hmm. even when when it feels like I really want to do something and not jump into action mode so right. quickly. And sometimes that's where I think because we do tend to be solution oriented as humans, we think, well, I did this, now I should. And that's not always reality. Sometimes we can be in a distracted, scramble, OCD, anxious mode, or whatever you may battle with. We can remain there for a while. And that's where the practices and the disciplines come in. We continue to posture ourselves to look to Jesus. And I can say with more and more confidence, I am walking in increased awareness of my deliverance. And it's a journey. It is not an easy road. The road is narrow and it is hard. However, we do grow in our ability to remain in Christ and to walk by the spirit, to listen to the spirit's voice, to trust and obey. And that is where we can be in that joyful state of salvation and peace, despite that often we don't feel, but are ours in increasing measure. The Bible says there are ours in increasing measure. I am learning to reach out I call it reaching out for an SOS and I getting out of my head, call it going MA. I've got MA for six months before Mm. where I have scrambled for six months Mm. in one part of my journey. Mm. So I'm not here to say that it is easy. However, I am here to say it does work. Jesus is the answer. That, that whole idea of MIA is a good, that's a good description for it. You know, a lot of times they will refer to OCD as brain lock. And where it just feels like you are, you are stuck and figuring out what you can do to break that. And I think mm-hmm. it's SOS calls that really is setting down the yellow pad mm-hmm. because it's, it's acknowledging that it's there and saying, what is something I can do to change my relationship to this? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, 
I think if we can recognize what it is that is the yellow pad and what it's doing for us, that's really the first step is, you know, then we can, then we can go, yeah, okay, here it is again. I know, I know this and I know what to do. I know how to, I know how to reach out. I know how to Mm -hmm. shift it to the side. So it's not taking a, maybe it's going to cover one eye for a Mm -hmm. while or something, you know, but, but to go whatever, whatever practices we can find to intentionally choose to not let it consume our focus Mm -hmm. is good. And that's where I do think the mind, soul, body integration is so powerful. Like there are certain things that are called disciplines because they actually work. And I feel like often in our society now and in the church, we're very feelings oriented and we want to not get legalistic. We don't want to get legalistic. No, we don't. And we don't want to be run by a regimen. However, certain practices that can cause you to look to Jesus that can disrupt what is going on in your brain, implementing those, it's super powerful. And that's where some of the little practices that I've employed keep my brain in a more stable pattern. Yeah. You know, my father-in-law, I, I don't know whether he said it or whether it's quoting somebody, but he said, it's a lot easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way oh, of man, acting. So true. And so to start those practices mm-hmm. and let that shape your brain is really good. Right. Yes. I just want to touch on what you were saying about believing actions because I've been in, I started therapy, I think about four years ago, but I didn't start talking about the like OCD, like symptoms I've experienced since I can remember. I didn't start talking about them. I think until a couple months ago, that was something that I decided like, this is something that it's too embarrassing to tell anyone about. Since I've started talking to my therapist about it, we've talked about little things that I, you know, can do to convince my body that I'm okay because what she always says is your body hears words but it believes actions so Mm -hmm. telling myself I'm okay is beneficial but kind of after I've already believed that I'm okay because I can't hear those words until I believe them so how do you go about like what what have you found to be practices that actually can help you convince yourself your body that that you're okay you know, the ways that I might convince my body I'm okay might not be the ways that, you know, someone 30 years older than me sure. does it. And that mm-hmm. that's okay too, you know? So one of the biggest things is moving my body. So mm-hmm. whether that's just getting up and doing 15 jumping jacks or whatever, or like shaking out my arms. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the things that I hated here and growing up, because like I said, anxiety has been something that has been there my entire life was um, take deep breaths. Because mm-hmm. for me, when I get super anxious, I get super nauseous. Mm-hmm. And so taking deep breaths, especially when you're like, because real deep breaths, you're supposed to like focus on your stomach, right? Oh. But if I'm already so nauseous, then focusing on my stomach was like, oh, let's just like mm-hmm. think about how sick I feel. Okay? Right, right. And so it was like, anytime I heard take deep breaths, I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is not going to help me, right? Yeah. Um, But Actually, very recently, my mom, um, I'm sure she's okay with me saying this, that like her natural instinct is like, oh, I need to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, but for me in a, in a situation like where my anxiety has been just the center of my mind constantly, I'm like, I spend so much time thinking about it that I just want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the combination of her, like, let's do this, this, and this with me, like, I don't even want to talk about it is like, can be very overwhelming for both of us. Cause she's like, I care about you. I want you to feel better. You got to commit yeah. to doing some of these yep. things, and I'm yep. like, I know you love me, but I don't, I, I don't want to think about it. Right. 
Um, but so we've been communicating a lot about trying to find a good way for her to not leave me alone in it, but for Mm -hmm. her to give me a little bit of control and how much I do what I do. But, um, things like that, like just, I remember one time I was actually, I was going to go to a hockey game with my mom and I was so excited to go to this game, but I felt I'd had this, I had this stressful thing happen when I was driving earlier in the day. And I was like, Oh, this is going to ruin my day. I'm not, I'm, I'll be able to go, but I'll, I'll feel sick and I won't be able to have a fun time. But I got home and I was like, I'm kind of like already committing to the fact that I'm going to be anxious, which is like, Hmm. yeah, that is something that stirred me up. And it's not something that, you know, I might not just forget about it right now. But um, but I was like, what are some of the ways I've talked about? How can I care for myself in this? Because I love going to games and stuff. And that's something that was supposed to be really fun for me. And so if I like kind of commit at the beginning and say like, oh, I'm going to be anxious. I'm not going to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, I'm cutting myself off from any, you know, turn of events. And so I got up and I did like 15 jumping jacks or something, took some deep breaths, went on a walk outside and I had a great time with that game. So that's great. But yeah, it, it makes me think about choice and that we all have the power of choice from the garden of Eden, you know, obviously most of us have heard the story about how Adam and Eve chose sin. They chose to look away from God and they looked and desired the tree of knowledge. And we all have choice and God designed it that way. And God also put plan A, Jesus into place, knowing that we would need to look to him to be delivered from our own sin. So the things that you've said just were so, I mean, you said a lot of great things, but the reality of our power to choose to disrupt our human temptation mm-hmm. to look at that anxiety, to look at what the past says, to look at our brain patterns, but to choose to believe that we can disrupt that and look to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I believe that as we look to Christ, our identity is secure in him and that that's where, where life flows from. Cause I am a believer in Jesus, as I know you are and Jeff here, but um, no matter what, I love your point about how we are also different. And I think that's one of the biggest traps that we are in, in this modern culture. Mm-hmm. We are all looking at so many things and we believe that there is an answer that someone else has applied that's going to work for us. And what it actually does is it can create more anxiety, more disturbance. And so getting still enough to look and figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. So I love that. You know that I do the shaking thing I've told you, and it's been super powerful. And Mm -hmm. it is literally a reset. When I realize I am going down a thing, I I do, I stand and I do it. I do the shaking thing. Mm -hmm. And I say, I'm looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I started doing that without knowing that it was going to be all over social media, that it resets your, is it a vagal nerve? Your vagus. Your vagus nerve, whatever. And so now all these, you know, very scientific people are Mm -hmm. saying this is a great idea. And people, I know some people in my life have thought I'm a weirdo because I'm, because I'm looking to Jesus while I'm doing it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so interesting how different we are and what works for one person is not going to work for the other and figuring that out. But anyway. I love it, Kate, that that you knew you were going to be anxious and you made the choice to still go anyway, to say, I'm going to know that this is there and I'm not going to let it be as powerful as it's telling me it is. Cause that's, that's the thing. So it's hard to look away from it when so you think I, if, if I do, then disaster is going to happen yes. or, 
I'm gonna, I, I will have a miserable time. And you, you pre-plan how the anxiety is gonna affect you, and and instead choosing to to let it be there again. That's like it's back to the yellow pad. You just kind of moved it to the side, and you said, yeah, it's still gonna be there, but I can go and enjoy this game. And I think really that that was the biggest thing for me. I think was realizing. Because I was so much about eradicating the anxiety. Mm-hmm. I have to get rid of this. And yep. to be able to go, I don't really. I just need it to not be so powerful. Right. And and to choose to not constantly look at it. Yeah, it can, it can be there, but it's not in the driver's seat. It's not in the driver's seat. Yeah, I know we need to wrap up. Usually these podcasts are like 10 or 15 minutes. And I feel like Jeff and Kate and I could keep talking and talking. <laughs> um, t- I wanted to add one more thing, though, to what Jeff just said, because it is not in the driver's seat. And that is where even the power of knowing the anxiety is okay. We can coexist. I don't have to hate it. I can look at it as as an indicator of something I need to press into prayer with is something I need to acknowledge is something I need to be willing to sit with. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning to recognize those coping mechanisms or behaviors that I want to eradicate. I'm learning to look at those as pointers to actually put me back to looking at truth. And it doesn't have to be any ritualistic type of thing, but what it can do, those things can point us back to the truth of who we are and being intact in Christ, that we are okay. It shifts anxiety from mm-hmm. being the enemy to being a tool that God can use to transform us. Yes. And we can go, okay, God, what do you have mm-hmm. for me in this? Rather than, God, you you must remove this yes. instead. And, and yeah. then it lets him redeem it. Mm-hmm. And so yes. that's beautiful. And I think that the biggest, the first thing I ever learned about that was to take away shame out of it acknowledging that it's not all bad. It's not all bad. It's not all good. It certainly does a lot of things that I don't love about it, but, um, but anxiety is there for a reason. And sometimes it takes over your life and you have to look at it and say, how can I be kinder to myself? So thank you, Kate. I tell Kate how much she blows me away and inspires me because I probably practiced shame and guilt and overcompensation until I was 40. I just kept piling it on. I kept looking at the problem, looking at trying to fix it instead of having the tools. I can't believe the wisdom and how fun it is to be able to talk and converse with Kate. Like, So thanks for being on here because it's super helpful. And I think it's really cool too, because it reminds us how much we all need each other. Like it our humanity is not age dependent. We all get to keep growing up mm-hmm. and we're supposed to encourage each other daily. And so Kate really encourages me and it was super fun to have you on here. Well, thank you so much so, again. And it's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you it's for been really fun for so long now. So thank you. And then also Jeff, thank you too. And I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but before we wrap up, I do want to say if you haven't read his book, it's a great tool for just gentle reminders of how to reset your brain. And I don't know if you have any more to add to that at all or any other thoughts, Jeff? Well, I would just say that both of you have been such an encouragement in the midst of this uh, shared struggle that we we have. And uh, so I'm really grateful that, that God does surround us with people who can relate and understand because I think that's the biggest lie of anxiety is that you're alone and what you're going through. And, uh, and I think the shame piece that you mentioned, Kate is so huge, especially for Christians, because we're so conditioned to the, 
you know, the verses about don't be anxious and stuff. And we hear those as reprimand rather than as, as, um, God being the loving parent saying, you don't need to be anxious because right. I've got this. And so, uh, to let some of that go, I think is, is really important. And I, I agree with you, Lorene. It's so great, Kate, to hear your wisdom at your age, because that's just going to serve you so well when you get to be our ages. <laughs> yes. Thank so. you way further ahead. Which is so fun and exciting. Lot to look forward to. And you to. also have your own pain and your own struggles because yes. that's the human condition, but it's good. So thanks for listening today. This was a fun episode and conversation for me, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And I just want to end with encouragement that if there's an area that feels overwhelming or less than, an area that feels like there's a lack of abundance, an area that feels impossible, that's what God does specialize in. And I just invite you to let someone into it. Get it out of your head and with a safe person. And I pray that you will go in the peace and blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ today.